0: So Caleb left off at verse 7. We're going to pick up at verse 8. After all the ones, ones, ones that we believe, he says, But grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of God's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, went up, what does it mean but that he also descended, went down, into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one also who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and some to be pastors or shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want you to remember fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the human cunning and the craftiness of deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Big old passage. This is the dream of God for Valley View. This is what he longs for the church on the hill to look like. This is what he longs for his body worldwide to look like. Uh, we, We make resolutions at this time of year, not me anymore, but resolutions flow out of our aspirations. Our aspirations are this image we have of ourselves. When, we're our ideal, our, when we arrive at our ideal self, what does it look like? Okay, so you've got this image of when you've arrived at your ideal person of yourself, and you're thinking as resolutions, what's a little step I can take this year in a concrete way that will help me to get to this image over time? That's how you form your resolutions. Now, I want to know this. Do you have any resolution in your mind for Valley View or even for yourself spiritually? What is the aspiration God has for the church? And I'm going to paint this for you. Not out of my head, but out of Ephesians chapter 4. Let me give you a glimpse of what he wants Valley View, the church on the hill, to look like. First of all, we agree on the big stuff, the big truths of the faith. There's a lot of individual little things that we can have disagreements about all we want, but the big stuff, the one God, the one Lord, the one baptism, the one body, the one hope, that's stuff that we live our lives on. We absolutely rally around these big truths, and you know what we do with the rest? We're patient with each other. Because we agree on the big stuff, we are patient with one another and our personalities and our efforts to live out these big truths. We're humble, we're gentle with each other because we agree on the big stuff, but we're patient as we try to pursue it. We're gentle, we're kind, we're forgiving, very, very liberal in dishing out forbearance. Did you get that? Very, very liberal. And dishing out forbearance. Did you get that? Okay, that's that's fun. Okay, so we bear with each other because we've got so many strange people here trying to march toward the same thing. And the only way we're going to do that is with forbearance because we want to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what God has called Valley View to. Agree on the big stuff and be patient as we try to live it. This is the second sweep of it. Each of us is also aware of our obligation to the whole. We each have at least one gift from God provided to us to use with other people at church. We have gifts that we need to contribute to the function of the whole church. And we also need to be willing to let others use their gifts on us. And so we create this harmony I don't know anything about music theory or philosophy or whatever they call that. I don't know what pitch means. I know that Melissa says I change it during songs sometimes. And I also know that I don't really know the parts. I know when a note goes from this line up to this line that I need to lift my voice a little bit. Right? That's what I know. I don't know any of that stuff. Music theory, don't know it, wasn't part of it, and I don't really care. I do know what harmony is, though. Harmony. Not harmony, harmony. Harmony is, we've got all these people. I don't know how many here right now. Two, three hundred people here right now. All with a different voice that sounds a little bit different than the other, but when we sing together, it becomes like one voice to God, right, and to each other. That's harmony. That's what God wants us to be. A whole group of people. Yes, we're united on the big beliefs, but we also have individual gifts that are not the same as everybody else, but we blend them together in this harmony. Now here's the thing. Harmony is easy if half the people don't sing. Does that make sense? Harmony will be very easy if you all just stay quiet and this group can harmonize and we sound decent. You just be quiet, they're gonna get the harmony and that's an easy harmony. That's not the harmony that God wants for the church. He says, I want everybody doing this. I want everybody lending their voice. That's what real harmony is. That's what the picture God has for the church on the hill. Here's a third sweep of it from this passage. We're secure in the truth so much, and we're united so strongly that when untruth tries to invade us, we stand solid together. Untruth can come in the door. People can present truths that are absolutely not biblical and hope to disrupt the harmony, but it won't work because we're strong enough in what we believe. Even if it's an insignificant opinion that seeks to divide us, we recognize it. We stand firm and calm in the midst of a world that loves to see division because we agree on the big stuff. A third thing he says, we speak We live, we defend, we promote the truth in the most loving of ways. We're so spiritually mature that we become like Christ and Christ was able to hold grace and truth together in tension. He was able to draw sinful people to himself without endorsing them or hating them. This was some kind of of man, Jesus was. Grace and truth. Sinners wanted to be around him, but he didn't compromise. They wanted to be around him, and they wanted to be better. May we be a church like that. I want to see us have sinful people come into our midst, and we love them. That's what I would love to see at the church on the hill. Don't make them clean up their act before they come and find the truth. A final thing he says And he paints it like this. We have our role to play, and we play it. And we fit together with one another until we grow in the numbers. But more than that, we grow in our spiritual maturity, and we look like Christ. That's God's aspiration for the church on the hill. Is that that an image that you'd like to see? Yes, sir. Preach on, preacher. It's obvious I'm going to have to do this by myself. So I will. This is an exciting view, y'all. This is really what God has called us to. And I think what we've gotten accustomed to, we think that all God has called us to is to sit on a pew for a few hours. That's not what he's called us to. This image, this view right here, is what God says, this is what I'm striving for. And you might want to say, well, that's nice and wishful thinking, right? God's mind has painted this picture. And when you paint this picture with your mind, you start sending messages out to the body part saying, this is what's in my head. This is what I'm looking for. And everything the hand does contributes to this image. Everywhere the foot goes contributes to this image. If God is in heaven, Jesus, the mind of Christ, okay, the head of the church is in heaven, and this is what's guiding him, what should the body look like? If this is what he's using, Sending us signals. I expect this to be my body. This is my head. Now I want the, the body to follow through on this. This is what the church should look like. And you might want to say, yeah, that sounds all fascinating and sweet. And by the way, the world is looking for this, right? And the world's trying to legislate it and tell you how to do it. And nobody can agree because you've got Republicans believing this way, Democrats believing this way, black people believing this way, white people believing this way. We cannot get along. And God says, I've got one aspiration for the church, and that's to show the world how this can actually happen. That's what he has. But you think, well, is that really what he thinks? Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, after he describes Jesus as the head, Jesus is the head, he's the mastermind of this. Verse 22, he put all things under Christ's feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church. The verse 23, now he turns to the church and he says, which is his body, say it with me, the fullness. That description we just gave is, is, has a shorthand in Ephesians. It's called the fullness of God or the fullness of Christ. And what he expects the church on the hill to be is the fullness of Christ. God engineered it this way. You get that? He engineered this, this body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God, when he was crafting and creating and designing and blueprinting his church, long before Adam was created, the church was in the mind of God before creation, correct? Is that right? Before it all started, I've got this blueprint. Now, if you want to know what engineering means, go ask Gary James. But I tell you not to because he will tell you. And after he tells you for 10 minutes what engineering is, you still won't know. But you'll appreciate the fact that he does. Engineering is this is what God designed it for. So you buy a big truck. You buy a souped up 100,000 horsepower truck that's a 4 by 4 It's an off-road and all you do is you buy this truck, you pay $70,000 for this truck, and all you do is go from home to church to Walmart back home. Next week, you get it again. You go to home, you go from home to church to Walmart and back home. And that's all you ever do with it. What a waste. You and your mama tells you, now you keep it clean and don't you be rough with it. No! man, it was created for that. It's supposed to go into the creek bank. It's supposed to go into the woods, into the mud. You're supposed to have fun with this. This is no church-going vehicle. The church is not a sit-on-the-pew, one-hour-a-week organization of God. That's not what he designed us for. And when we come to accept that that's all that it really requires and all that we really are going to give... Listen, we're a souped-up vehicle God has in mind to change the world, and we're sitting on a pew for an hour. How wasteful is that? That's not what we're created to do. We're engineered for greater things than this. And he says so. Turn to chapter 3, if you would. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, he's just described for three chapters all. It's the story of what God has done for us, which you all know we just rehearsed in the table. This is something we go over, and the fact that God wants the Lord's Supper every Sunday means you'll never go a week without remembering that detail and that story and its significance. He doesn't want you going far without rehearsing the story. You will never go more than a week Without rehearsing the story. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, Paul says. From him whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. I want you to remember this. Through his spirit in your inner being. I want you to remember that. The only way this can be accomplished is through his spirit in your inner being. You can't do this any other way. I want you to remember that. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ lives in you. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the power to comprehend, remember this too, with all the saints. You cannot do this in isolation through personal meditation. It requires all the saints. I just want you to remember that. What is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that goes beyond what you can know? You may be filled, that you may be filled with all the, what's it say? Y'all say fullness. What's it say? You may be filled with all the fullness, there it is again, of God. And lest you think, no, you're overstating it. Now to him who's able to do far more than this, God is more than able to make this happen. So the second thing is that God empowered the church for this. He not only provided the, this, this machine that can do this, but he filled it with fuel. Now, for those of you are teenagers, you've learned this, that it's one thing paying for a vehicle. It's another thing paying for the maintenance. Do you ever notice how often those things run out of gas? Anybody notice that? How often your car runs out of gas? It seems like you live part of your life at a gas station, you got to fill it again. It would be very nice if you fill it once and that's it, right? That would be great, but that's not how it works. It needs constant fill-up. This one almost sounds like, you see the first one, God engineered it? I don't care what you think about the church. God definitely engineered it to be his fullness. He, that's, his, that's in his mind. But this empowerment, that is also of God. God is the one who filled it full of the power to be able to do it. But it does require something of you. You must have the Holy Spirit of God for this to happen. The Spirit of God in your inner being has to be there to, to be able to empower it. How do you put the Holy Spirit into this machine God gave us? It's when you obey and you believe enough to be able to commit your life and allegiance to Christ in the waters of baptism, and then he fills you full of power with his Holy Spirit. But that's not all we said. It's together with all the saints. Assembly required. Did you get that? Assembly required. This is a corporate thing. We do this jointly. We come together and we, t- with all the saints to grasp what God has done for us, how much he loves us, and when we do that, we allow his Holy Spirit to sink in deeply, and we with each other pursue this and a meditation of this. All of a sudden, God powers us up and now we're capable of doing it. This is cooperative. The first one is a fact. The second one requires your cooperation. And the third one, Ephesians chapter 4, which we read a moment ago, is that God equips us for it. This has a lot to do with us. He gave some to do this, and some to do that, and some to do this. What was he, What was his design? What's he wanting? He's got, he's, he's put shepherds over us. He's put deacons over us among us. He's he's given us teachers who can teach. He's given us preachers who can promote this. What is their job? Notice verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now look at the screen, if it's still up there. Okay. Verse 12 is essential for everything else that's underlined. So, he provides these different roles in the church, these abilities and roles to equip the saints. It's to you know what the preachers to do? It's to equip you. You know what the shepherds are supposed to do? They're to equip you with the ability to recognize your gift and use it for the strengthening of the church here. That's what their job is. Now, a lot of times in an elders meeting, it doesn't elders, I'm going to get on to you a little bit. Sometimes it don't look like that's the priority. Sometimes it's parking lots. I don't see parking lots in there. Sometimes it's this and that. We're here to equip the saints so they can do more ministry out there. And the preacher's got to do that too. He's involved in this looking out there. What can we do and how can we put you to work in ways that make you flourish so that you grow and the church is blessed? And by the way, all the underlined words require that. If we don't have that going on, we can't be built up in the body of Christ. We can't attain to the unity of the faith. We can't no longer be children tossed because we're so solidly grounded in the truth. And we won't speak the truth in love unless we do that. God equips us, but we've got to be the ones, the equipped ones, who do the work. God's there to empower us, He's engineered us for it, but we've got to be the ones to do this. No excuses. There's no real good reason for us to say, well, there's a reason why Valley View will never do that. That's because of this. and because There's no excuses. We've been engineered for it. We've been empowered for it. And the equipping is right here among us in our number. There's no reason we cannot reach the fullness of God and Christ in this place of the world. There is no reason unless the equipment doesn't work. If the equipment doesn't work, it won't happen. And that's y'all, that's us, together. All right, so I need to make this practical, right? This is, this is the hard part, is making this practical. A few years ago at, at Kennet, we, we decided the brand of, of Slicer Street was going to be out of this. We're going to flow out of this. and I'm going to show you the logo we used, and I want to use it to kind of jog your head. We're going to be using this the next two nights. If we're here tonight, uh, I don't know if we'll be slipping and sliding up the hill or not, but if we're here tonight, we're going to use this a little bit. and we're here next Sunday night, we're going to use this a little bit, I want you to look at this logo that we've chosen, I want you to see the three reaches. Reaches for fullness, if we're gonna reach this fullness that God engineered and empowered and equipped us to reach, we need to be doing some things. So the first thing is, you need to reach up. You'll notice these two people here. Um, this uh, This is not my artwork, I just found it. So these two people, they're reaching up to be like Christ. You see that represented in the cross. As they reach up, they're striving to remember. They're striving to know why they're here. Reaching up is about worship, it is about knowing God, it is about prayer, it is about remembering in your mind what your purpose is because it is so easy to forget. Uh, we started in Ephesians uh, in chapter 4, but before there's chapter 4, what, what three other chapters are there before you get to chapter 4? This is not a hard question. 1, 2, and 3. And 1, 2, and 3 are all about the story of what God has done for us. Now here's the thing. The Ephesians knew this. They're Christians. The Ephesians knew this because Paul spent three years doing ministry establishing this personally for the Ephesians. And, ten, and another five years after he leaves, he writes the book of Ephesians. And before he says anything else, he reminds them of the story. It's like we know this already, Paul. You've taught us this. We've believed this. We know this already. And yet, the first thing he does is spends three chapters telling them again. Because here's the deal, guys: we have this tendency not to do what we know we should. And if you don't review it and you don't keep going over it, and you don't remind yourself of what your primary purpose is, you will forget it. Why do we need Bible class on Sunday morning and Wednesday night? Because we are fickle people who forget. In the middle of a week, we'll forget what we covenanted at the Lord's table. And so we get together on Wednesday night and say, don't forget this. This is a part of, and it, it's nagging. I want to stay home. It's cold. It's dark early. Blah, blah, blah. I know you do. But more than all that, you need to remember why you're in this and what you're supposed to be doing. Sermons. I've heard that sermon before. I haven't taught you anything in five years here that you haven't heard somewhere before. But you need to hear it again. And so we reach up. You can do this privately in your scripture reading, and your prayer, but we need to do this corporately too. We reach up Because we must never forget why we're in all this and what our major purpose is. And we will, y'all. It doesn't take us long to get distracted. Squirrel, right? Reaching in. Notice as these two people are reaching up together to the same place, eventually their hands connect. If we are all reaching for the cross, and reaching to be like God, we are going to be in close proximity to each other. And Ephesians is all about how we treat each other. We're working together, and we're loving each other, and we're forgiving each other. We're bearing with each other. Mitchell and I, don't really know, we don't really hate each other. We just don't like each other much. And yet, and yet we, we, we work together for the same cause in different parts and different areas, but it's the same cause. And so he's got some foibles, I've got some foibles. We just got to forget all that. And remember, the main thing is the most important thing, that big, the big factors. And here's the reaching in is how we take care of each other. It's how we keep each other strong and nurtured because we are not going to be able to do this in isolation. If COVID has taught us anything is, isolation is worse than sickness. If it's taught us anything. So here's the weird thing to me. I want you to think back with me the night Jesus washed the disciples' feet. You remember at the end of it, I want you to do this for each other. And he said to them, they they will know you are Christians by your... See, we need Bible class because you should be able to complete that line, right? They will know we are Christians by our... Okay, who's they? The world will know you are Christians by your love for each other. Okay, this is weird, isn't it? We're sitting here on a Sunday morning. We're expressing love to one another, spring on toward love and good works. The world isn't even here. The world can't see what we're doing in here. They're out there. They have no interest in it. How does what we do in here toward one another, how does it prove to the world that we're Christians? Isn't that strange? Maybe our best outreach It's how we love each other in here. That does not quite make sense to me. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think there's somebody who dies, and there's a group of ladies that do this. I mean, this is the most flawless, seamless thing that you do. There's this funeral meal, y'all. You are doing your work out there like you should and living your lives, but something materializes here at this church building it just comes about some of the best chicken some of the best salad some it it appears like sort of like hogwarts it just like pfft, there it is right it's sort of like that but it ain't there's a group of ladies here that pull this thing off and it's amazing and this family comes in and they eat together and they fellowship with one another at a time of grief and there's a bunch of those people of that family who are not christians and they're sitting here going, why are you doing this? You think I'm making this up. I get asked this all the time. If I happen to be there for some reason, they will always say to us, I've never seen anything like this. Why do you do this? Aha, uh-huh, there's a great time to explain it. Because what happens right there, our in-reach is impressing people. Because what the world needs to see is that right there. It works this way with a college group. You ask the college group, and I'll say, why are you guys coming to church? Their first answer is going to be, we love the preacher. That's their first answer all the time. It's amazing. It's a wonderful thing. I love the fact that they... Yeah, okay, so that's not the first answer. They are getting, but, but notice this. This is what's interesting, is a lot of these people that are coming now, I'm not going to point out who they are, some of them didn't come to church because of church. Many of them came to church because... A friend was here and they're getting together and they're really enjoying, it. they're having some classes in the last uh, quarter that, that I was able to attend and it was like, I'd put those classes up with anything in any college or any some stuff they're really, really hammering on and they're, and they're eating together and they're getting together at weird places, doing weird things and they share it with friends and suddenly the friends come because they're like, that's something I want. That right there is something I want. And if that's where I need to go to get it, I'll be there. That's how our reaching in is seen by the world and they want something like that. And there's no, y'all, seriously, there's no other place you can find that. Third one, notice their hands reaching out. They're reaching out to a world doing this. Come join us. They're living an attractive life. They're making some intentional effort. Some of it's lifestyle choices. Just the way we live our lives is a wholesome, attractive thing. But then there's also some intentional effort of trying to share with people at strategic times, at times that are just right, a a, a situation, a wording of faith. You you can't do it without words. You must speak sometimes. But what they're doing is they're doing this, saying, come join us. We want you to join us as we're on our road up to God. These three reaches, y'all, this defines the Christian life. And this is what a church that reaches for fullness looks like. We are concerned about making sure we honor God's will for, for us as the church. And we're, we're making sure we care for those who are already in it. And then we long and we do everything that we can to say to the people outside of it, you need what's here. We want you here. We want you here. That's practical. You can do this tomorrow. You can decide in the morning, I'm going to do something today that reaches up to the God I serve and reminds me of what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to do something, however small, that reaches in and strengthens the community of the church. I can do something, however small, that reaches out in a, in a simple way that shows the world the nature of God. You can do that every single day. And if you do that, you're taking simple, concrete steps to be the fullness of God in the earth. We can do this as a church, too. This morning, I'm telling you, these, this is the aspiration of God. The question is, what simple things are we going to do as a church this week, this year, this month, that helps us reach that aspiration that God has? It's an aspiration, guys, that should be as much in our heart as it is in God's. He's the one who engineered it. We want to satisfy and please and be just like him. This morning, if you've never responded because you're not in the family of God, you've never chosen to put on Christ in baptism, here's the deal. That's his aspiration for you. You know what God wants for everybody? To come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's his dream for everybody, but it is your choice. And this morning you have a chance to make it. You can name the name of Jesus from your lips, be immersed and rise to walk a new life, and take your, take your lead for life from the words of Christ. Or if you've done that and for some reason you've gone off-road in yourself and you're just choosing your own way to live, and you know, it, what God has said hasn't really mattered to you, there's some repentance necessary get back in line. That may take simply a prayer between you and him, or it may take help from us, and we're glad to give it. Whatever it is, make sure that you're lining up with the will of God when you leave this place today, and strive to honor it daily this week for him. Whatever you may need to do, do it now as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.